and welcome to the edition. It's, of course, our weekly look at the crossover between digital media, culture, all those kind of things, tech. And I've got a, I've been saying it recently, we've been trying to do a couple of different things on the show. And I'm really excited about what we're doing on this week because I'm joined by Stephen Scott from Double Tap Productions. Um, for those of you who don't know Double Tap, well, Stephen, say hello and explain Double Tap to us because you'll do it better than I. <laughs> well, first off, Charlotte, thank you so much for asking me to be here. It is, it is a real pleasure. And, no, I'm um, thrilled to have you. Well, I'm glad to be here because it's a great opportunity to talk about what we do. And, and like you say, Double Tap Productions does a lot of things, but I think it's most known for Double Tap, which is a radio show and a podcast, as well as a TV show as well. And it goes out across Canada and around the world in various guises on AMI Accessible Media Incorporated, which is a television channel, actually three television channels to be exact, uh, because it has an audio channel and two TV channels, one in English, one in French. And it uh, basically provides lots of accessible content to disabled Canadians. And Double Tap is our technology show. It's all about technology and how it can enable a disabled person, in particular blind people, to live independent lives. Yeah, which you would like to think, actually, in the age of technology in which we live, where everything is so incorporated into our lives. It, uh, in a way, you would hope that things like the iPhone, smartphones, more broadly, te- you know, at home automation, all those things should make life easier for people who are blind, who have other vision impairments, who are deaf, all sorts of different disabilities. We, we'd hope that actually technology is going some way to solving some of the day-to-day problems and, as you say, helping people live independently. Well, and, and to some extent it does. It really does. And I think there has been a huge move forward. And I think, you know, it's very easy when you're in advocacy circles. And I think I, I don't consider myself an advocate. I really don't. Because I think what I do is I try and talk about how this technology can benefit people so that disabled people, blind people like me, can actually go on and, and live independent, happy lives and use this technology to aid them in that way. Uh, so, you know, it, it becomes an assistant as well as anything else. But, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, the technology is improving all the time. The accessibility is interesting. There is a bit of a gulf between the devices themselves and the accessibility that exists inside those devices. For example, I use an iPhone, and that surprises a lot of people when I talk about that. How does a blind person use an iPhone? And often I get the question, oh, is there something bolted on that makes it easier for you? I always think about that. Uh, I remember back in the, the days when I used to watch the Flintstones and they used to mm-hmm. the, the intro segment, there was something they would bolt on the side of the, the car and it would tip over on its side. And, and I always think about that every time I think about, you know, the idea of something being bolted on the side of my iPhone to make it suit me. Uh, and of course, that's not the case. Every iPhone, every Android phone, every computer now has built into it a range of accessibility tools. Now, that could be as simple as a dark mode. That's an accessibility yep. feature. You might not think yep. it, but everyone loves dark mode these days. Uh, larger text. Dark mode times... is not just for coders spending too long in front of their screens. No, definitely not. And you, I mean, that's it's, it's certainly for a lot of coders, that was something which it, it came out of. And, you know, a lot of coders liked that option. But it was an accessibility feature. It started out that way. Uh, it was a way of mm-hmm. contrasting the screens so that someone who had, in my case especially, I have this where I have significant effect by light. So, you know, if I'm in a a really brightly lit environment, it it can really impact my ability to see what is left, you know, vision-wise what I have left. It can really impair that. And on a screen, for example, if I opened up a Google website and you get that big blast of white light that comes from the Google page, 
Uh, that could knock me for six. I, and for that reason, I have gotten to a point where I have to turn my screen off because of those kind of issues. Now, in dark mode, that allows me to turn the screen back on because at least then I'm not being hit by those bright lights. So, like I say, dark mode is one larger text as well. How many times have we all been screwing our eyes up to try and see that email and, and sort of rubbing yeah. our eyes and finding it's sore to read? You can actually increase the text size. And then you go further than that. You can get into all kinds of fantastic features that help people who have impairments like mine. So, for example, I use a thing called the screen reader, which basically is an audio version of listening to you know what is coming out of the the computer to what you're seeing on screen. So I get a, an audio representation of that and I control all of that using the keyboard. So I'm keyboard driven. I don't use a mouse because the mouse doesn't work in that environment. I mean, it can work in it, but I choose not to. Uh, so I use my arrow keys. I use my, you know, all my shortcuts. I use the same shortcuts as everyone else. Control C, Control V, copy. Well, you paste, actually use them. That's the difference. Most of us <laughs> don't know about them there. But actually, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. To even think of shortcuts as an accessibility feature. Absolutely. I've, I've sat through, as you know, a large number of Apple events. I, I, I'm sure it's the same at Android events or Samsung or you know these different companies. But Apple is the one that I've sat through the most events of. And there are always various points in these very glossy presentations where they do make a point of talking about accessibility features. Mm. Uh, so I have to ask you, as someone who relies on such features, does the rhetoric match what happens in reality? It's actually one of the most undersold things. Um, oftentimes what you see on screen at these events, for, and a good example of this was recently Google held an event and it kind of also always catches us by surprise. Whenever accessibility gets mentioned, it's like hearing your name on the radio when you've called in for a request. It's like, wow, they mentioned us. Uh, it's so surprising to us that we'd even get a mention. That's how low down the scale we often are as disabled people in the general conversation. But, you know, at Google event last year, they had a, a wonderful feature called Guided Frame that was announced. And this was announced at a mainstream event. And the feature enables blind people to take selfies. It allows you to use your smartphone to actually line you up, make sure you're in frame, and it will take the picture for you. It's a simple feature in a lot of ways, but so cool because that enables a blind person to do that thing that everyone's doing, which is taking a photograph yeah. of their own face and putting it on the internet on a fairly regular basis. And, and why also, should we be excluded from that? Well, we shouldn't, of course. Of course so that's not. why that's so important. And it's the kind of thing that, those of us who don't have are not blind or have any other visual impairments just take for granted and think oh yeah just snap a selfie you know no annoy everyone by putting up yet another selfie on instagram but actually <laughs> for for some people that has previously been a fun thing that's kind of been taken away and it's great to hear that there are those features uh, that are being incorporated into technology and i i do think my instinct is that Apple, again, it's the company I know best in this area, mm. genuinely does care about improving this stuff. My, I think that's you... true. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's because, I mean, certainly from, from my point of view, following Apple from day one, I mean, Apple was never, like a lot of tech companies, they were never really focused on accessibility until something changed, something happened. Now, there's lots of arguments around, in particular with Apple, and lots of suggestions as to what happened to Apple that made them decide to go all in on accessibility as they did. 
And it kind of started around the iPhone 3GS. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a good friend of mine, Shelley Brisbane, uh, who she will, not, she will not mind me naming her. Uh, she did a fantastic little documentary called 36 Seconds that changed everything for blind people. And what it was, was the 36 seconds referenced is the point where one of the people on stage at an Apple Worldwide Developer Conference referred to VoiceOver, the screen reader on the iPhone. Mm. And it was only talked about for 36 seconds. But that 36 seconds did change everything for us. Because we, at that point, when the iPhone first came out, and I remember myself, and we talked about it recently on one of our shows, you know, we, we were terrified as blind people. We thought, that's it, we're being shut out. Because this is a slab of glass, it has a button on it, and that's it. How are we going to use this? How is this something we can use as blind people? Uh, there's nothing tactile here. Nothing and nothing, at, at, at that point, there was nothing you could talk to either, was there? No. No, that's right. The city idea, that wasn't even in, in place at that point. You know, and you know, bear in mind, at that time, the technology that blind people were using was quite restricted. I mean, in terms of, of phones, I remember there was a Nokia N N95 which had a piece of software, which was at that time bolted on, called Talks, and it would read out some of the menus on the device. And that was it. That's all we had in terms yeah. of talking phones. And there were some slightly tactile buttons on different models as well, wasn't there? Yeah. I and if you had some that. vision, you could, make, you could make it work if you had some vision. I mean, I had better vision then, so I had an Nokia 3310, and, you know, that was fine. But, you know, for those that had no vision at all, there was nothing. Nothing really out there. And, of course, when the smartphone revolution comes along, when the iPhone comes along and it changes everything for people, blind people were left out at that initial stage. And then something happened, whether it was legislation that came in, whether it was Steve Jobs had an epiphany, there was rumour that he sat down with Stevie Wonder one night and the two of them had a chat and suddenly so the next day... That's just changed. the most Steve Jobs. That's like, <laughs> the, I can't think of a more Apple way that accessibility yeah. would have happened because Steve Jobs sat down with Stevie Wonder. Well, I, mean, I that's don't, the rumor, I, I don't right? want I mean, who to be knows if that's true or not. I yeah, no, we don't know if it's true. It's a great story. I think that definitely comes under the category of too good to check. And I also yeah. don't want to be cynical and dismissive because I do think that Apple genuinely takes this stuff seriously. From you know, well, what, what, the, 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 the the story goes that what happened was Apple was uh, petitioned by a group in America called the National Federation of the Blind mm -hmm. um, because iTunes at that time had what was called iTunes U University Materials through iTunes. And those materials were not accessible. And the story goes that this petition, uh, the, 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 and Americans are generally quite litigious in this area, and I think quite rightly so. And they had approached Apple and said, look, we're going to take you to court over this because this is not accessible. This is not you know, in compliance with the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act and so on. And what happened was, well, by all accounts, Steve Jobs said, okay, well, that's fine. Let's, let's make it accessible. But do you know what? Let's just bake it into everything we do. Yeah. Now, that uh, does sound like Steve Jobs to me. It, well, I very much agree. Yeah, it does sound very much like Steve Jobs. Not a, some, He would have put it as like not some clanky bolt-on. He wants to make it fundamental to yeah. the technology. And I, yeah, I think that. Now, I'm glad we had that overview. I think it's important to kind of start from the beginning of this story. Mm. But I, I want to dive into where we are now, really, which is in this age of streaming of multi, multiple multimedia platforms. Yeah. Um, of every company launching a streaming service. Obviously, in your case, um, uh, the kind of audio world of podcasts, all of that is fine. Again, different for a deaf person. And those other things have to be incorporated in it. But here, uh, we're talking about streaming. So, <laughs> excuse me for putting this bluntly, but how on earth and what on earth do the companies do 
to make sure that blind and visually impaired people can enjoy this plethora of content they're putting out? Well, I think it's, it's the best question I've heard in a long time because it's a truly honest question and it's, it's the right question to ask at this stage because, okay, there's two things here, right? First is every time a new platform comes along, it usually comes encased in an app, right? So that's the first thing to think about. Uh, and then, of course, you've got to think about uh, the offshoot of that is what platform it's going to be delivered on, be it actual television or a device. Now, let's say we're talking, let's just, without getting off the rails, let's just focus on smartphones, okay? So we've got smartphones and we have smartphone apps. That's the first thing. So the first question I always ask myself is, how accessible is this app? Now, what does that mean? Now, for me, as someone who's a screen reader user, that means as I navigate my phone by touch, which is where I touch the screen and I get audio feedback, whatever's visual on screen will be represented in audio. If I go to the home button on an app or the search button on an app, when I tap that button, does it actually say search or does it say button? As is often the case. So if it says button, right. I have no idea what that button is. And it that can be, be a problem. Yeah. Is it launching so into space? App... Is it starting a TV Exi program? Exactly. Yeah. Am I about to launch World War Three, or am I just going to search for can, some... You can know... I just say, as someone who has spoken to you, you know, we've had a, quite a few conversations, Stephen. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of being on your show. I really hope your phone never has the big red button on it. <laughs> you know me too well. It's terrifying, Charlotte. I mean... Yeah, because you know I'd hit it. Um, well... But... You... <laughs> <laughs> there are some days, there are some days. But no, it, it just, it goes to show though that it's something small like that that can make the difference because you literally don't know what the button is. So you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're, you could be deleting your account. You could be searching for content you don't know. So that's the first thing. So let's say that the app is fully accessible. Let's say all those buttons are labeled. Let's say the whole experience is so, great. Sorry, just me being dumb. Mm. This is something that's fully baked into the underlying code of an app is what you're describing. Yeah. A bit like alt text on a picture. Yeah, pretty much. So it's up to the coder to make sure that these buttons are labelled. Now, visually on screen, it might say search underneath the little magnifying glass. That doesn't mean that the label behind it is written, mm. which means that if there's no label, then it doesn't matter what the image actually says. It's what is behind it that matters for a screen reader user. Now, of course, you know, not all, and when it comes to blindness especially, it's not, we're, like everything in life, it's a spectrum, right? So there are people who need certain contrasts. So if the text contrast isn't good, if it's very small text, that can be a problem as well. If that's not scalable, that can be an issue. So there are lots of things. So that's the app. Let's say everything's perfect and we've got into the content. Now the content itself, does it have options for disabled people? Does it have captioning? Does it have, um, does it have any audio description? Now, if you don't know what that is, audio description is that secondary voice, which you can enable, which will describe the action on screen in the same way that subtitles display the dialogue in a, in a movie for a deaf person. And if it doesn't have those options, then you have a problem. Now, unfortunately, this is where things get complicated, and I'll try and simplify this as best as I can for you because it is such a mess. Um I can go onto any streaming platform pretty much these days and it will have audio described content. The problem is that that can be very sporadic. And it also could be that I could watch a movie. I could find a movie, as I did the other night, um, find a movie I really wanted to watch. It didn't have audio description and it wasn't available anywhere else because it was exclusive to a different platform. Um, now, I've had a situation before where that's happened and yet that same movie can then be not no longer exclusive to that platform and appear on another platform, and it does have audio description. So hooray, I can watch it. 
Um, and so it goes. And a, a story I tell a lot is the story of the, the movie or the, the TV series Outlander. You might know this show. Um, Outlander, very popular American show all about Scotland in the 1300s, I think it is. And uh, my wife was really enjoying season one of this show. And we get to season two and we cannot find it with audio description anywhere. And finally, we find it and it's being made available on a channel in the UK but it's not being made available on demand, and we find out about it, it's episode five. So mm. we've missed the first four episodes of season two, and that's that. Now, you could just continue from there and just try and pick it up, but it does feel that we've lost out. And this is the difference between people who will be able to sit down and binge watch a show and just say, hey, that was brilliant, and us who I often feel we are often going out and searching for content or seeking out that specific content that is actually available to us. Someone will say to me often, hey, there's a great movie on Netflix, you should check it out. And I go and check it out and there's no AD label, which means there's no audio description on it. Okay, forget it. And if, I, if it doesn't have audio description, I can't watch it. It's as simple as that because I don't know what's going on on screen. I miss so much of what's happening and that audio description makes all the difference. So to answer the question, the, the way we get content is we pretty much are sometimes just fed the crumbs. <laughs> um, we get what we get sometimes. Um, we haven't even talked about quality of audio description. I mean, that's another yeah, story. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question. But anyway, yeah. continue and then we'll come back to that. But, but essentially, the, 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 the amount of content that's out there is certainly growing and it has been helped by legislation to encourage and push broadcasters to make more content uh, available to all. But of course, that can be very small numbers. You're talking in some countries, the legislation only accounts for and only demands broadcasters make about 20% of their content accessible. Um, now, some have gone better. The BBC in the UK have done much better than that. They're up to like 40% now, which is amazing. Um, and of course, the more content that is made available with audio description, when that starts to repeat and come around again, that actually brings the numbers up. So you, you end up with lots of content. But um, it, we're, we're in a good place in some ways. We're in a bad place. I think the biggest issue is, is accessing the content itself. And there just isn't a really simple way for us to know the content we're going to watch is accessible to us. In theory, it should all be accessible to us, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to see a reason why, as you're producing your blockbuster Netflix series, your big movie why part of that production process doesn't just involve audio description i can understand it's harder if we're feeling generous let's say you can understand why it's harder for old older archive content but you know streaming services and big content providers have been around for a while now i i find it hard to see that as you're making this stuff people aren't just embedding audio description into their production process it's not even considered, Charlotte. That's the problem. It's not even part of the process. It is an add-on at the end. Now, actually, for that reason, it makes it easier for legacy content, older content, mm, to become because because it's the same process. Ultimately, you're taking something once it's complete, once everything's done. That is when the audio description is essentially tacked on, on top. It's not part of the process at all. Directors, I I, I feel it's it, it will take a Steven Spielberg or. A, you know, insert famous director here, mm. Tarantino. It would take someone like them to come out and say, this isn't good enough, that something needs to be done here. Because we've been shouting, 
And it, it, you know, we're a small, you know, audio description. It's, it's a it's a niche market. There's no denial. However, I think there's a, another is, way to look at but this. Yeah. It's not. You, I, I, it's not so niche. It's not so small. There are plenty of people around the world who have uh, who are blind, who are visually impaired, who would benefit from audio descriptions. Well, this is why I think there's another way to look at this, right? So, audiobooks were originally built and designed for blind people so that blind people could enjoy books. And then Audible comes along and mm. it says, hey, these audiobook things, they're cool. You can listen to them in the car. You could listen to them while you're on a run. You could listen to... So suddenly it was no longer a thing that was for blind people. It was for everyone. It opened it up. Now, I remember... For a seven ninety nine monthly subscription. Exactly, which... And, and that's another interesting point, right? Because I remember a, a, as a younger guy, I mean, in my 20s, going into a Waterstones or a Borders or whatever it was, bookshop at the time, and being taken to the shelf, the shelf that mm. contains the audiobooks that I could go and buy. And it was only half a shelf, really, out of this entire, you know, three-floor bookstore that had every book in it you could think of. My half a shelf was available to me of CDs, which, by the way, cost about three times as much as the book itself. So now you have a situation where Audible are producing all this content for seven ninety nine a month, and people might go, well, that's a lot of money. Yeah, compared to the CDs that cost about three times that. For one, look at the price of these audiobooks individually. They're expensive books, and that's not made up. Now, they cost more to produce, of course, but the more people who buy them, the more available we get them at. Now, of course, I will say as well, there are libraries, like in the UK, there's the RNIB Talking Books Library that's been around for a very long time, and it makes itself available to its readers who are blind for free. And, so, and I believe that public libraries here in the UK, and I think in America as well, someone will email me or tweet me if I'm wrong, there are libraries of audio content that are part of a, you know, a regular yes. library membership, I think. So that that's great. Um Oh yeah, audiobooks you can see as a solution. I, w I want to come back to the kind of streaming service world. Do you think? Well, just if you don't mind me saying this, no, just to, just to tie that together, because the reason I bring that up is because I think the same could happen that happened for audiobooks could potentially happen with right. audio description, and I think that that Netflix have tried this a little bit. I think they could go further, you know, suggesting that hey, you want to catch up with the Crown, listen to it in the car. If you use mm -hmm. audio description, you can you can listen to it. So again. Let's think about this as not something that's unique to blind people, but make it available to everyone. And then we all benefit from it. And then yeah. it makes it more available because then everyone starts to crave it. That's what happened with audiobooks. I think the same could happen with audio description if it was just marketed the right way. Yeah, I mean, with audiobooks, people now get excited by who's reading the book they want to listen to in audiobook form, don't they? Yeah. Hello, Stephen exactly. Fly. Um, yeah, perfect but... example of it. But let, let's talk about uh, audio descriptions again, because you mentioned the quality. Mm. Now, there was a couple of things you mentioned to me when we were planning this show. One, yeah. for US listeners, this is a soap opera here in the UK that's been running for a million years. You mentioned Coronation Street. Yeah. Uh, and the quality, varying quality thereof, of audio descriptions on that very mainstream <laughs> show. Uh, and you also mentioned, I think, a project whereby people blind people and visually impaired people were doing the audio descriptions for some content. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, you know, in the UK, and this again shows the quality difference. So uh, in the UK, we have many companies that are doing, not many, but there are a number of companies for producing audio description for linear television. So ITV in the UK, which produces Coronation Street, 
um, they have their own in-house team of audio describers. And there is a guy who does the audio description and has done it for many years uh, who will get, you know, on a fairly regular basis, the character names wrong, which, you know, he's, he must be watching this episode as well. I'm assuming he's not just reading a script. So, you know, he's, he's even getting information in this wrong. And the information is and can be scant because there is a, a legal requirement, I think, of so many words, which equates to the tick being, okay, it's officially been audio described. Uh, so, you know, they can, as I remember watching one show on Channel 4 that had, uh, I think, the words Birmingham, England. And that was it. That was the audio description the whole way through the, this particular half-hour programme. Uh, and because it had those two words in it, it qualified as being audio described. But the rest of the episode, no idea. So, you know, you have this quality issue where the, the quality, the standard of the audio description is just not there. And then Netflix comes along with all of its content and it made a decision quite early on and because it was a new platform it could do this that all of its original content would be audio described and the quality of that description and it's not just the, the script itself although that matters but the level of detail and the quality of the writing is important and it is also the mixing of the, the content i've watched movies sometimes i've had to turn off because you have the the voice of the audio describer is about three times as loud as the film and you can't watch a movie like that because you no. constantly have this voice yelling out at some point you know when and you're sort of riding the volume the whole time so you have that issue um and this company that netflix were working with it's called the international digital center uh i had them on my show they are incredible people uh eric and liz who run the company liz is the writer and eric runs the company and they have a huge number of people involved what they've done is they have sought to make it possible that this is actually something that is highest highest quality possible audio in terms of the uh the mix in terms of the scripting in terms of everything that's delivered and also that you know it's possible that the thing can be broadcast in 5.1 or 7.1 surround sound and it, yeah. you'll get the audio description in that mix properly as well that's another issue is oftentimes we just get stereo audio you don't even get the full uh, experience when you have audio description turned on quite annoying um, if you spent a lot of money on a nice audio setup Exactly, spend the money on it and you get everything in stereo. You don't get that surround sound effect because of the, the ADs in there. So, okay, so that's that. And what Netflix have done and what IDC have done with Netflix and other companies, not unique to Netflix, but they've IDC have said, well, what we want to do is we don't just want to have sighted people reading the script. We want blind people involved in this. We want blind people to be part of the discussion in how the audio description is being created, but also voicing the audio description. So now when you watch a movie on Netflix or a TV series produced by Netflix or you know a Netflix original, the audio description will most likely be read by a blind person. And they're working with people on the best ways to do it. So some of the blind people come in, they use Braille displays, so they will read from Braille. Uh, some will do it by a read and repeat mechanism. So uh, someone will read the script to them and then you will repeat it back and then it's edited together. But you know, they believe it's really important that blind people are not just the recipients of this service, but actually are actively participating in its creation as well. And they're making money out of it. And I think that's what's fantastic. You know, that's, that's such a positive way of doing this. Yeah, it truly is. And presumably part of the benefit, this is not just some kind of moral charitable crusade there no, is presumably not. a real benefit to it in that you get much higher quality audio descriptions because you're working with the people that need it yeah because they'll say well hang on a minute what, what happened there 
Or, yeah. Well, that doesn't right. make sense to me. Why did that happen there? And, and, and because they can pick up on it, we can go back on it and fix it before it's delivered, as opposed yeah. to watching a movie and thinking, I, I'm even more confused now than I was before, because I've watched many movies where I'm completely lost yeah. in what's going on, even with the description, because it just doesn't add up. And it does, for a lot of people, it can feel tacked on. And of course, there is an issue here that, you know, in movies that are, one of my favourite movies is In the Loop. The, the thick of it movie, yes. essentially. Yes, yes, yes. And it's quite hard to get any other <laughs> words in there because they wait for the spaces, right? And there's not many in that film. No, not, not many when uh, Peter Capaldi gets going. Exactly. So that can be another issue. So there's lots of discussions around, okay, how do we do this? And I Sorry, think I'm, just, tr- I'm yeah. just trying to imagine some of the moments in the thick of it slash in the loop. <laughs> audio described and i'm just gonna to have to put myself on mute while i laugh hysterically please continue Stephen. <laughs> but you know itv have tried to do other things as well and this is showing that clearly companies like idc are having an impact because itv uh, had recently tried some new approaches where they would for example with certain new shows that were coming along they would have and i remember one show in particular called trigger point it was one of their big itv dramas uh, they had actually created with the cast sort of like an audio tour of the set, of the design, of what the characters looked like, the clothes they wore, the characters themselves got you, got you used to your, the voices of the characters, those leading characters anyway. And that was a really good way because often that comes from, from theatre in Britain, ultimately, where you can go for what's called a touch tour yeah. before a, a, before a theatre oh, presentation. Wow. And you would get a sense of, you know, the, the so let's say, for example, it's a Shakespearean play. You can go and you can touch the costumes, you can meet the actors, you can hear the voices, you can touch the, the items that they're going to be talking about or using on stage. So you, when you sit down and you have audio description live in that environment as well, that's also available um, in select theatres anyway, um, you, you have a much broader image in your head of what's actually going on. You can feel it, you can sense it. In a in a real you know a really rich way, which you wouldn't get just by sitting there being told, oh, he's wearing a nice dress, or he's you know she's wearing a nice whatever it is, right? Yeah. You, you get much more out of it than that. But um, I mean, I could keep chatting for ages because I find this fascinating. But I want to end with hopefully a positive note. But I want to end by asking, do you think this stuff is getting better? Do you think the companies are taking it more seriously? Do you think there is? more content that is being done in this considered way and that there is real progress being made. Well, it's interesting you say end on a positive. I actually think it's all positive. I think it is all positive because all I'm seeing is continued growth in all these sectors. I think the problem we have as a, as a community, as a blind community, as a disabled community, is we need to just keep our voices being heard. We need to make sure we're talking in reasonable tones to people about the challenges we face and working with people it is going to be an endless battle. You know, as a blind person, I spend most of my life explaining to people that I'm not entirely useless and I can manage to get around and do things like, you know, put my clothes on and stand up straight and leave the house. And to some people, that makes me an inspiration. Uh, to everyone else, it's just a guy getting ready and going out of the house. So we've a long way to go, I think, in terms of people understanding that disabled people... I, I, I'll give you a great example just just to, to end on. Um, one of my blind listeners who listens to the show regularly on, on, to Double Tap told me recently that she her, her, friend, her friends have been listening who were sighted and said, you know, he's incredible because he doesn't sound blind. And I, to this day, I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. But 
But I don't, and I don't know uh, if that's, I, I don't know what that's, what I'm supposed to sound like if I'm blind. But okay, I don't sound blind, but hey, I am, and that means that I have. <laughs> I'm still trying I, to process that one, but yeah, carry on. And and it's not the only example. I could give you a million examples where I've been. It's been suggested to me um, that you know because of the way I sound, I, I sound like I may have had an, ed an education, which is incredible when you think about it. I mean, it's like what what did you? Do you did you think I just was chucked straight into the asylum? I mean, it wasn't the 60s I was born. Mm. You know, so this is the challenge we have as, as blind people, as disabled people, where we have to be seen as human, I think. And I, a lot of people think we've moved on from that. I don't think we have. And I think well, that's the biggest challenge. A lot of people are surprised that you went to school. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, some, they're amazed I can stand up straight and form a coherent sentence. And that's, the, that's where we're at in some cases. So I think that that's the negative, And we have to work on that. But the positive is that there's a huge amount of progress and that we're, we've seen with, you know, I think about from a technology point of view, and that's really my field is to look at how technology yeah. has grown. Um, I see that technology has grown from a point where, you know, when I was growing up, very little technology was available to blind people. It was all Braille, you know, it was all about Braille and it was all about, you know, audio players and, you know, dictaphones with tapes yeah. in them. And, and it was all that kind of level of tech that was kind of available to us. Everything else, computers, was was felt like it was going to be on a back burner for a while. That has changed. Every computer is now accessible to me. Every smartphone is accessible to me. TVs are becoming more accessible. We've still got a way to go in terms of the appliances in our kitchen. But, you know, we're getting there slowly. Technology is getting better. We just need to continue working together as a community to promote that and also work with people, not shout at people, but work with people to make their apps more accessible so that we can all benefit from it. And it's up to the tech companies to continue talking about the work they're doing in terms of accessibility, but not to see it as some kind of do-goodery thing, but actually to see it as something that can make money for them because we are a consumer base, we have money mm -hmm. to spend, and we want to spend it. And we'll spend it on the company that's most loyal. And that's why, and a lot of people don't like me saying this, but it's true, that's why most blind people use iPhones, yeah. because Apple were loyal to them. So yeah. we'll be loyal no, to them too. No, I can I can well imagine it. And of course, in this, uh, I felt a bit silly actually saying, "Oh, let's talk about how blind people can consume Netflix and watch movies on no, Apple TV Plus." But actually, it's so much part of our culture and discourse that if you are shut out from watching that stuff you can be shut out of you know the water cooler conversations so that's just in the age we live in that's just totally unnecessary in my opinion so i'm really grateful Stephen, for you coming onto the show where can people keep up with you and the work you do at double tap so the podcast is available every day yes we do a daily podcast don't ask me why but we do and uh, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts ami uh, is also the place to go to find out all about our tv show or on youtube ami.ca Slash Double Tap is our uh, website for the TV show. YouTube, search for Double Tap On Air. You'll keep up with everything we're doing. And of course, we're at Double Tap On Air across social media as well. Fantastic. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. As I always say, if you are listening to this via Substack because you subscribe to the newsletter, thank you. Um, please even consider upgrading your subscription to a paid one. It really makes a difference of what I can do at the edition. And if you are listening to it in your normal podcast app, because you can listen to the show wherever you listen to your podcast, please do also consider signing up to the newsletter and be part of the whole conversation going on at the edition. Stephen, thank you once again for joining me and I'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.